Welcome to Asian Book Club, where we highlight Asian and Asian American authors. We are your hosts, Jamei and Sabangian. And I'm Stephen Park. And we're here with our fourth read of Disorientation by Elaine Shea Chu. And in this read, we get a lot of information. Mm -hmm. But one of the things they talk about at one point is DEI, Mm -hmm. diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yes. And it's a very brief point in this whole story. But it's something that I thought about. So for me, as a part of my work, I'm part of our DE&I committee. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of people actually genuinely working hard to try to make changes. But what I feel like we've experienced, as well as I think a lot of other DE&I committees or people that have some affiliation with it, is I think it's starting to turn into much more of a show rather than a movement. Absolutely. It's become more performative. Right. And it's a little sad just because it is such an important thing to include is trying to get everyone involved and on level playing fields. But it's not that. It's just saying that we'll do certain things and trying to allow for some amount of time or some amount of budget, but very minimum, just enough to kind of pass by. Right. Just to fulfill the requirement right just because we've had this racial reckoning which we finally had enough pressure built up to where the valve is finally released but kind of like what we noticed from the poc caucus in this book and Mm -hmm. with vivian vo's movement is eventually that pressure comes right back down and people start to move on so things that continue on like a dni committee is actually vital to make sure that movement continues rather than everything just standing still. For sure. And I think it has to be more than just the people of color who are moving the needle because usually the BIPOC community or the Black, Indigenous, and people of color community are the ones who are moving or saying things need to change. But it's not until white people notice and realize how much needs to be changed that anything will change right and this is one of the areas that i found a gap in my own knowledge or i guess my own understanding of things is i think because of my own lens and the window that i look out of i am so focused on race and bipoc specific Mm -hmm. and worrying and concerning myself about that but there's much more diversity equity and inclusion than just race yes there's disability there's the lgbtq plus community Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different people that are discriminated upon that would benefit from not just not really help but an equal playing field yes more resources more access right and someone who does great at uplifting these communities and people and trying to be as inclusive as possible is actually going to be our recommendation for this week. Our recommendation for this week is Anna Akana. She is an actor, a writer, and a director. But what I know her best from is through YouTube. On YouTube, she creates videos where she has story times from her personal life. She also creates distinct reviews on informative books and psychological research that are not only important to her, but important to a lot of people. And a bonus is how she features her cats as well. She also features her creative works such as poetry and music, 
on YouTube and Spotify. You can learn more about her work through her website at anaakana.com. That's A-N-N-A-A-K-A-N-A.com. And you can also follow along on YouTube at Anna Akana and on IG at Anna Akana. Yeah. And not to mention, we also feature our cats in our podcast. Yes. Those are the little bells that you hear. And and sometimes the pitter-patters as well. Mm-hmm. And we try to limit the amount of crunching bites that happen as uh-huh. they randomly bite up food as we record they're always the most active when we record so if you hear anything i promise i'm trying to edit the most of it out but anna does a lot better job of featuring her cats and that's at anna akana on all the stuff that you may mention yes and that's our recommendation for the week okay so fourth read of disorientation by elaine shechu we have gone through a good amount of this book yes and what do we know so far so far what we know is that ingrid published truth about zhao and chao online and that ensued chaos and created a monster known as dofo by her now advisor still advisor Mm-hmm. Michael Bartholomew. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, we also know that Stephen and Ingrid's relationship is on the rocks. Right. And so this week, we're reading... Pages 248 to 319 for those who are following along in the hardcover. But for everyone, we just read chapters 14 through 17, entitled The Ultimate Asian Woman, all the way to and through Total Immersion. Yep. And so these chapters start off with Vivian's interview. Yes. And so she is talking to the Gazette, Mm -hmm. and she's absolutely taking credit for everything. Yes, and any time that there is a misstep or a misspeak, Vivian attributes it to her trauma. Right, which at the beginning of this book, I talked about how much I liked Vivian's character. I thought it was very honest. It was someone who was very strong and powerful and standing up for their rights and needs. And very aware. Yeah. And throughout this book, and one thing I think is worth talking about is her character changes. Every character changes. There's not one character who follows a linear pattern except maybe Alex. He might be the one constant, which Mm -hmm. is crazy. Mm -hmm. But Vivian's character changes into someone who is a lot more deceitful who's lying, who no longer seems to be doing this stuff for the purpose of the people that she's trying to help, but seemingly for her own selfish needs. True. And I think it's also her feeling burnt out from all of this. Mm -hmm. I think because there are less and less of the POC caucus, and this is just me speculating, this Mm -hmm. is not necessarily from the book, but... I think her character is having this negative arc because so many people are dropping out and dropping away from her. Right. So like you said, in this interview, she has several missteps where she says the wrong thing. Like when she went into John Smith's house, Mm -hmm. the way that she broke in and where she went. And yeah, her first instinct is, oh, my trauma. That's obviously why I forgot this stuff. And I just, you know, it wasn't the same person that I thought that she was based off of the character that she originally presented as. The other part that I got a little bit more frustrated by was her lack of compassion for Professor Wenli Xiao, Mm. the person who, you know, stood at top of the building. Mm -hmm. And she just, Vivian did not seem to exude compassion, which is what I originally thought was the purpose of her going through all of these POC caucuses and things like that. 
I feel like her character isn't a compassionate character, but yeah. one who wants the social eye or the public eye to see her a certain way. Like, we know that she was a leader for the conservatines before. Mm-hmm. And that was her banner before she became who she is today. Mm-hmm. So she has to be a leader for something in order for her own security, I think. Yeah, for or, her identity. Yes, absolutely. And by taking on the Zhao Wenqiao website, or at least taking on the credit for the Zhao Wenqiao website, she is now leading someone else or people, other people. Right. And this story then magnifies when Ingrid then ends up running into Vivian. Yes. And the encounter that they go through, it kind of gives me Regina George vibes. Yeah. Like Vivian gives me a lot of that I am in charge kind of feeling. I am better than you. And then when Ingrid finally tells Vivian, hey, I also, side note, Ingrid's high because she ended up smoking weed with Professor (laughs) Wenli Zhao, (laughs) which is also very funny. But Ingrid finally breaks it out to Vivian and says, I know that this wasn't you because it was me. Right. And Vivian just denies it. She is adamant that she was the one that wrote it, even though she knows. Like, there's no way that she's fooled herself, I think. Maybe she could have fooled herself. It sounded like she embodied this persona so Mm -hmm. much that she's now like, no, I absolutely was the one who was in the closet and witnessed John Smith take off his makeup. Mm -hmm. So... This kind of is our maybe temporary ending for where Vivian leaves off. She kind of storms off and we don't really hear that much after about her. About Vivian? Not really, no. Yeah, so maybe she'll come up. Well, likely she seems like she'll come up in the last read. For sure. But then we go on to the bigger story. And I think when we recorded last time, we talked about how maybe there was some form of climax where we were approaching it. Mm-hmm. And then you had mentioned, I think this is going to be our climax. Mm-hmm. And I think this bit right here, when Ingrid meets John Smith, mm-hmm. was the biggest turning point in everything. Totally. So Ingrid seeks out John Smith. And I think, at least from what I read, it seemed like she just needed closure. Right. She needed to figure out why did he do all of this right. and take on this persona, this personality. Mm-hmm. And when she does meet John Smith, what's interesting is that Elaine writes it in only John Smith's mm-hmm. perspective. There mm-hmm. is no back and forth. John Smith is saying this stream of consciousness and is just talking to Ingrid without Ingrid's input. Right. I think Ingrid is putting in input. Right. But yeah, the way we read it is that... It's just John Smith. Exactly. And he goes on and talks about a lot. This is kind of like, I don't know, in our last read, we had the whole Willie Pickton story and what his background was. Right. I think this portion was to create reason and humanity within John Smith. Mm, Sure. Because his story as well also has meaning to it. There's a reason why he got to the point that he did. Totally. Not to say that that's right by any means, but... He talks about how he was very transient growing up because his father had a military job. Eventually, his mom and dad get a divorce. He ends up in this small town, Mm -hmm. which is dull, and he's getting bullied. And so saves up money, goes to China, lives there for a while until he runs out of money and ends up moving back. And this is when he starts trying to go to the route of becoming an author. 
Right. He has written down his experiences from what he did in China as a form of trying to remember the experiences. Yes. But they eventually turn into poetry. His submissions then don't get accepted. And I think this is where we get a callback from the beginning of the book. Yes. Where he had sent a submission to Luke Walter Gibson, which is a rejection that he gets and then breeds the character of Xiao Wen Chao. Yes, but... John Smith does mention how he gave up using his own name fairly quickly after 13 rejections. Right. And he doesn't know if he continued to use his name if or when he would become published. Right. Right. Absolutely. But it does get him published. It gets him popularity. It gets him fame. The Chinese cultural heritage eventually wants him to come in person and then breeds the makeup and the fake persona the actual yellow face of it all yes and how he researched for the yellow face Mm -hmm. and how he the fact that he kept saying that this was okay for that time it's like sure but also that doesn't mean it was okay right and so i don't think he fully learned his lesson i think he does apologize genuinely but I don't think he's fully aware of all of the things that he did wrong. Right. We don't know the extent of everything that's going to happen with this, but he is now willing and complicit to everything that Ingrid is asking of him. Yes. I did not like the ending where John Smith was talking about giving the apology and wanting to get on his knees and really ask Ingrid for her forgiveness. Right. I felt like that was really weird. Yeah. And like you had mentioned earlier, because of the way that the author had written all of this, it seemed like when John Smith was asking for that apology at the end, it almost felt like a global apology of white people to Asian people in a way. Mm. At least the way that I read it, I was like, oh, this doesn't seem like just a one-to-one person encounter Mm -hmm. it seemed a lot bigger than that so i didn't read it that way but what i did read into john smith's apology is that it was sincere he might not have understood exactly what he was apologizing for but he was apologizing to ingrid and to the chinese community at large and to ingrid's i guess colleagues as well Mm -hmm. yeah and It was very interesting to hear him break down his actions. At one point, he referred to his wanting to be caught, similar to that of a serial killer wanting Mm -hmm. to be caught. It was very narcissistic in a way, and... Which he acknowledges. Yeah, but it started from a very sweet place. That's that's where I think the humanity part came into it, was he needed money. And this was the way that he gained money, and not just money, but security, health insurance giving his grandmother grandmother a better life so i think it originally started as something where it was meant to give him sustainability and he also talks about how it felt like he was being dropped into a well and he was getting deeper and deeper and didn't know how to get out of it yeah once again doesn't make any of this right no but now because of all this and also because of him knowing that he was in the wrong with this Mm -hmm. he has decided to go along with Ingrid's new plan, and that is the taking down of Dodofo. Yes. And so John Smith is now going to be a part of going out into different public speaking events. Mm -hmm. He's going to say exactly what Ingrid has scripted out for him. Yes. And that is going to help Ingrid take down Michael, which seems to be the new task at hand. Right. And on top of that, 
Another way Ingrid is taking down the Dofo community is by joining them. If you can't beat them, join them. Right. And so what we know so far is that Michael has been building up this new Dofo structure. Mm -hmm. But not only that, he's also become the dean of students at Barnes. Yeah. And this Ingrid sees can be a source of his power and his recruiting him getting new people into this dofo community unfortunately can we call it a cult because it kind of seems like a cult yeah absolutely so let's call it the dofo cult so michael has not only been promoted on a more personal and professional level but every single time he now goes into interviews he's also promoting his dofo people and not only that but his merchandise which is ridiculous Yeah. yeah like that's awful He is doing the most. And one of the other things that he does to create traction is have this house party where the YAACC are also meeting. Right. And so Ingrid is invited. She is also allowed a plus one, which originally I thought that that might be Steven. That's what I thought too. Mm -hmm. But very quickly we find out that it's Eunice. Yes. Her... PIC, yeah, mm-hmm. her partner in crime. Mm-hmm. So Ingrid and Eunice end up going to this party, and Michael quickly introduces her to Timothy Liu. Timothy Liu is the leader of the YAACC. And is also the DOFO assistant. Right. Pretty much the right-hand person to Michael. Yes. This is now the community that Ingrid is going to try to infiltrate. Mm-hmm. And we see that as she enters this circle meeting of these people the yaacc people yeah and she notices very quickly that timothy is the only person of color everyone Mm -hmm. else is white and everyone looks like they're in a cult because they're just wearing the same clothes Mm -hmm. and not only are the things that timothy says problematic but the echoes around the group are also just as problematic and essentially using Timothy's words as their shield to not be called racist. Right. And one person in particular, and they don't name this person, but I'm assuming he's just some white dude, Mm -hmm. (laughs) says, and I quote, I've always known what you're saying, right? But like, I couldn't say it out loud. I mean, not without someone calling me a racist, but like, now I can say that you're my Chinese friend. Which is terrible. Essentially, this entire conversation, if we can call it that, is an echo chamber of terribleness. Mm -hmm. And this eventually leads to Ingrid finding realization within all this that she could have been the one that filled Timothy's role. Mm. She was on the path to becoming Michael's right-hand person. Yeah. A line in the book says, She had acted as white people's right hand on so many occasions laughing at their jokes, making the kinds of jokes they laughed at, staying silent when they cut racist remarks about other minorities in her presence, letting herself be patted on the head for being the right kind of minority, then becoming the minority they expected of her. She had been complacent. She had been complicit. I think this is a realization that had been built on for a while. Mm -hmm. The part that I saw her growing in this the most was when Stephen kept calling her Chinese and not Taiwanese. And you saw her the first time just kind of silently going about it. The second time she kind of spoke up. The next time she kind of yelled at him and Mm -hmm. really fought back. Mm -hmm. So we see this development and this blossoming within her. And then when we look back to page 289, there was a point of it where she kind of thought to herself, maybe if I had ignored that smiley face that John Smith had put on there, 
everything could have been different. She says that Michael wouldn't be the person that he is now. He would have been confined to the walls. She'd have her postdoctorate. And she could be married to Stephen at this point. But by, I think, starting on this journey, she's now realizing that there is no other pathway. I think this is her finding her true self. So there was no other real outcome that this could have come to. And the thought of ignorance being bliss would have never truly been bliss for her. Hmm. Do you feel like she is now set in her awareness? Or do you think she is still waffling back and forth at this point? I think within the pursuit of taking down Michael, she's pretty set. Hmm. I think she knows that she doesn't want to be Michael. She doesn't want to be Timothy. Mm -hmm. She doesn't maybe want to be Vivian, but she realizes a sense of self now that's beyond just someone trying to graduate this program. For sure, for sure. And do you think Eunice is helping her in this? Besides physically helping her and being at this party with her, do you think Eunice is also... Like, we already said before that Eunice is probably not going to change her character, Mm -hmm. but is Eunice... As Ingrid's friend, helping Ingrid become whoever Ingrid thinks she wants to be. So I do think that she does help. But I think the part that helps her the most is when they end up talking at the party. And Mm -hmm. Eunice finally comes around to coming up with this definition of racism shield. Mm -hmm. And Ingrid asks, how did you know that? And Eunice responds by saying, I've started reading Vivian's articles because you had brought them up. So with Ingrid seeing Eunice also changing, I think it gives her verification in the fact that maybe what she's doing isn't a wrong thing and it's actually her kind of moving in hopefully the right direction for her identity. Totally. So they're kind of like sharpening each other. Right. Totally. So had you heard of this term racism shield before? I don't know if I've heard of that specific term, but I do know what people mean when they say racism show. Right. And so the way that Eunice ends up describing it is when white people prop up a person of color who says racist things to deflect claims that they themselves are racist when they say the exact same thing. Or in Sushi's case, when white men claim they can't be racist because they've had sex with, dated, or married a woman of color. Mm-hmm. Or when they say, my friend who's Chinese said, or my cousin twice removed who's Asian said. Right. Or like, my brother is married to someone who's Chinese, so mm-hmm. I can say these things. No. And yeah, so it's very interesting. I've never heard of a word term to describe that, but it's a perfect term for it, I think. It definitely encompasses what it means. Right. And so Eunice and Ingrid are now back to moving together. Yes. And so, like we said, they enter Michael's house. But the weird thing about when they enter is they meet an old friend that they hadn't seen in a while. Well, I don't know if she's a friend, but they knew her. Right. And this person is Michael's wife, Sushi, Mm -hmm. which was possibly going to be his Mm ex-wife. But all of a sudden, when they meet Sushi, she's no longer that person. Right, she's now dressed up, she has this blonde hair, and she seems to be chipper, which is what she never was in the past. Right, and not only that, but she also has a different name, a different identity. Well, she calls herself Cindy now. Yeah, she not only calls herself Cindy, she now tells everyone to call her Cindy. Mm -hmm. Michael calls her Cindy. Yes. She also is making 
lime flavored cottage cheese with <laughs> maraschino cherries and Vienna sausages. I saw that and I was like, wow, that is gross. I know. I always thought that white people hated canned meat. So the fact that they're eating it for dessert is kind of funky. Well, I think it's a 1950s dish. Like, it's a jello dish that they used to make because of the hard times. Hmm. So for some reason, Michael or Sishi is wanting to bring it back. I have no idea why, but it's it just it's just gross. Mm-hmm. So this is the shell of a person that she is now living in. Yeah. And we'll eventually find out more about her current situation as we go on in this read. Mm-hmm. And so Ingrid and Eunice have now entered this house. Mm-hmm. Ingrid has now met up with the YAACC. But eventually, she and Eunice end up finding each other in this party again. And this is where the snooping happens again. Right. They're back to their John Smith investigation ways. Mm-hmm. And so they're looking for dirt on Michael. They're trying to find something that will, quote unquote, take him down, thus taking down the Dofo cult. And while they are going through the cabinets and realizing that the room that they're in has all the hidden Uh, all the hidden furniture that Michael doesn't want people to see, all of a sudden the lights are turned on and Sushi finds them in the room. Right, and she surprises them and she kind of comes in as this blank figure initially. She's still her Cindy character. She's still playing this person and they become melodramatic, I guess, and are like, blink twice if you are in danger. Right. I saw it less as melodramatic and more as the movie Get Out. It mm. looked like they saw her soul trapped inside of her body. I guess, And yeah. they were trying to figure out how they could possibly get it out. Because they've met Sushi before. Like, and I was like, how did she become this... Thing, this walking right. being that's like making alien person lime cottage cheese things mm-hmm. i mean i'm not the one who described them as melodramatic so she did but yeah then after their outburst so she drops the act and then she's like she reveals all she tells them that the reason why she's doing this is because they deported her lover and she didn't want to meet that same fate right and she is on a K-1 visa. Which is the fiancé visa. Right. And this is a thing that's limiting her from being able to do anything. Because at any point during this time period, Michael can say that this whole marriage was a charade. Mm-hmm. And this would then leave her vulnerable to no longer being able to stay in America. And she also doesn't give up all the information of why she doesn't want to go back to China, which I think is very fair. I mean, that's Sushi's character. She doesn't give off anything. And the fact that she said this much, I was a little surprised. Right. And I think she's desperate at this point, though. Like, I don't know if she sees any way out. Mm-hmm. When Eunice and Ingrid ask her what she might want, she kind of gives a bare basic. And mm-hmm. she's like, I just want chili oil so I don't have to eat this bland chicken and... So, and vegetables. Yeah, I think she's truly looking for any lifeline of support of yeah. trying to get out of this situation. Yeah, and on top of that lifeline of support, she is also giving them the in and saying, like, if there's anything I can reveal, I will reveal it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm pretty sure she's going to help at this point. Hopefully. Hopefully <laughs> she... I'm pretty sure this is a Chekhov's gun. She's got to be the key to Michael's downfall. Right. 
and this downfall would hopefully involve this mansion that he lives in with... I don't know if it's a mansion. It sounds like a dungeon. Well, the whole house is this very elaborate description of it. Yeah. And they also describe it full of bears and horses. And antlers and skulls. Which gives off very Barbie and Ken's Ken's Casa Mojo Dojo vibes. Yeah. So hopefully... They can take this whole place down mm-hmm. and take down Michael, mm-hmm. take down the Dofo cult, and then move forward. Yes. Which brings us to another toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. Steven and Ingrid's. Mm-hmm. So, last time, we did notice that Steven and Ingrid's relationship is falling apart. And we see even more of Ingrid's insecurities with Stephen and how it's changing her perception of the entire relationship. Mm-hmm. Whenever Stephen calls at this point, Ingrid realizes that there's this constant gaslighting, trying to prove that Ingrid is wrong mm-hmm. and that something is wrong with her mind. Like he's thinking that she's having a mental breakdown. Right. And this was something that I noted as well was that when we go through this read, there are two times that he talks about her mental state. Mm-hmm. So one, he does say, I was recently reading an article on mental breakdowns, but on page 234 in our previous read, he also says, this is a quote, Ingrid, I won't speak to you when you're emotional like that. Please try to calm down. (laughs) Then, later on in our read, he says, you're being hysterical. So these are three different points where he pretty much calls her crazy Mm. without actually saying the word crazy. And those are three different points where I I rolled really hard. Mm -hmm. And so, very toxic at this point. Yes. Also, Ingrid is very disgusted of him. Right, like ever since her discovering the taxes folder, she's been suspicious of what Steven's doing, what Steven's been doing, Mm -hmm. why he's not noticing anything about her and seems to be focused completely on Azumi. Mm -hmm. When Steven does return from this book tour, there's also additional gaslighting and patronization, especially because Ingrid is fearful for her own life. She's been receiving these really scary serial killer notes Mm -hmm. in the mail without stamps, without any posts without any return addresses, which means that whoever this person is knows who she is and where she's at. Right. And what, like, drove me nuts was when Ingrid confided her fear and Steven said, you don't have to do this for attention. Right. And I'm like, who does arts and crafts and makes it scary for attention? Right. She even said that he thought her capable of so little. Oh my god. Like, very undermining. Right. Very kind of pushing her down into her role, I guess. Right. And like saying, who are you that someone would want to cause fear? And which is the truth. It's like, any woman or femme presenting person is always under constant threat anytime they leave their home and sometimes within their home right this reminds me of when your sister was in the kitchen at home by herself one day and there was like a truck outside on the street not a truck someone was outside on the street calling in and they saw her see them right and instead of her addressing this person, she just sunk under the table and hid. Which is a valid, valid reaction. If I was afraid of whoever it was I was looking at, I would probably do the same. Mm-hmm. 
And in a way, that's what we kind of see from Ingrid is she may not be hiding, but she's starting to go into herself a little bit. Mm -hmm. She no longer wants to be touched by Steven. She no longer wants that physical relationship with him. At one point, I think this was actually meant to be a compliment, but she describes Steven's lips as it tasted of pesticide-flavored strawberries when they had gone strawberry picking once, and his most recent appearance looked less anemic than usual. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, like this is the good side. This is you actually describing this person in a good light. So the way I see it is that Ingrid is complimenting Stephen, but Elaine, the author, is punching down on him. Mm, I can see that. Like, even the point where, and this is where things kind of turn around, is that when Elaine writes about Stephen looking pitiful and his appearance looks like a wet cat. Yeah, yeah. And so, because of this wet cat look, Ingrid ends up going with Stephen to a fair. Right. And at first, it seems like things are getting better. It seems like the relationship is somewhat recuperating and recovering. Right. It's quoting from the book. It's resetting to factory settings. Right. But it doesn't do that. Right. Because at one point, somehow, Ingrid notices this mass of people and realizes that they're Japanese exchange students. Right. More specifically, young Japanese girls in uniform. Yes, exactly. So this causes Ingrid to be on high alert. And not only is she very aware of the Japanese students, but she's aware of any Asian person, even if they're grandma with their grandchildren. Yeah, she talked about how she started getting images of Stephen doing self things as he's thinking about the grandma. It's like, oh, that's not good. No, but I mean, I can see why she's hyper alert all of a sudden because she's kept these things bottled inside. She hasn't brought it out. All she is doing is cutting off conversations, pulling away from touch, and trying not to spend time with Steven as much as possible. So the one time they do spend together, now she's on high alert because of the bubbling feelings inside. Right. And this eventually leads to Ingrid's explosion of words in which she pretty much calls Steven a... Oh, I was going to say pedophile, but that's not the word. Fetishizer. Fetishizer. Yes. (laughs) She calls Stephen a fetishizer. Mm -hmm. And this sets Stephen off into like a maniacal clown-like laughter, which the author does such a great job of putting that image together of him laughing and then knocking down their engagement photo, which Mm -hmm. crashes and shatters, Mm -hmm. kind of explaining where the relationship is currently. Yes, or where it's going. Right. And Ingrid exposes that she's gone through his computer and has found the taxes folder where she found the three other girls. Mm -hmm. But Steven's response to this is that Ingrid also has a type. She also fetishizes which, in a sense, may be true. Like, we don't know the backstory of Ingrid, but based off of everything that we read, she might be someone who, as Stephen would put it, preferences a certain look or a certain type of person. Totally. But what Stephen is doing is patronizing Ingrid, but what he doesn't realize is that there's a difference in power balances. Right. In that when he's fetishizing Asian women, he is therefore congealing them into one person and, like Alex said, makes them replaceable. 
And what might be happening with Ingrid dating all these white people is, and again, this is speculation, is that she's trying to become a white person herself. She's trying to hide anything that's othering. So for me, it seems like the same thing. Not Mm -hmm. in the same way. I do agree with the power balance thing, but the replaceable portion. Mm -hmm. Because we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast. Mm -hmm. But this is where I found fault in the people that I knew that only went for certain races or certain people Mm -hmm. is that they were trying to fill that role of maybe, like you said, becoming a white person or kind of following that pathway. So I don't want to agree with Steven. I don't fully agree with him. But in a way, I do somewhat agree with his point that Ingrid has also used these white men in the past to try to fill an identity that she was hopefully seeking. Hmm. I don't think I made that realization on my own until Mm -hmm. Steven had made that comment. Mm -hmm. So I hate that I agree with him, but a little bit agree with him. I see where you're coming from, but let it be stated on the record that I completely disagree with Steven Green. That's fair. There is another thing that falls out from this conversation, and that is what's going on with Izumi. Right, and... Unfortunately, or also just being part of the theme, Stephen reveals that one night when he couldn't sleep, he found out that Azumi was out and about yelling at her phone in English mm-hmm. while smoking. And smoking seemed to be the, the worst part about this. And I'm like, you have weird priorities. Mm-hmm. So we find out that Izumi, in a sense, is also yellow-facing. Like, I don't know if you'd call it yellow-facing, but Mm. I would maybe call that... Because she is presuming a type of Asian character very similar to how when we heard John Smith's story and when Mm -hmm. he talked about that magician who was faking the Chinese impersonation, Mm -hmm. he also hired a fake translator to then pretend like he was more Chinese. Mm -hmm. This character of Izumi has a translator that she's going through. And yeah, clearly she speaks English. Her story that was supposed to be semi-true... Auto-fiction. Yeah, like, there's no way that it is. Yeah, because it's not her story. Right, so we see that she is faking this part. Faking her persona. Right. I don't think it's yellow-facing because it's still her heritage. She's still Japanese. Right. She may not speak Japanese. She may not have lived the life that she said she did. But the big key here is she's not a white person. Fair, but she is pretending to be a more Japanese person. Fair, yeah. I yeah. see that. I see that. Still don't think it's yellow face. It's still taking on a character and making other people see that character as the truth when it isn't. Right. Which now I'm realizing with every character in this book, like I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast going through different changes and roles, I now understand why the title of this book is Disorientation. Mm -hmm. There is no one constant. Like I said, maybe it's Alex, which is just the weirdest (laughs) thing to say that he's going to be the constant in all this. But there's no constant within this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There is one part that I kind of wanted to go back to and bring up, because I think this is where Ingrid's big realization happens, and I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this. Yeah. I'm going to read it verbatim as a quote because I think the author, Elaine, does such a great job of writing this out, so I don't want to butcher or paraphrase any of the words, but it's a little bit longer paragraph. Mm -hmm. It says, 
No safety could be found in hedging their bets with white people and believing they could be protected by them, as their approval emitted some kind of special failure retardant coding. Because while the light-skinned and affluent among her lot weren't turned down for loans and followed in stores and unable to walk through a white neighborhood without having the cops called on them, they didn't have power. Of course they didn't. They were mocked, trivialized, and dehumanized. So self-effacing, they were simply effaced. They were given the illusion of power for being allowed to work in the same companies and live in the same gated communities. But if they were to rally together with fellow minorities instead of letting themselves be pitted against each other, distracted from a common enemy, oh no. If they were to surpass white people, oh, no, 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 no. That was Yellow Peril 2.0, or any peril of any color. This was the author's suggestion that people of color, the BIPOC community, people that were marginalized, Mm -hmm. seem to be fighting this fight with each other. I took a lot from this one quote and realizing during this recent Black Lives Matter movement, Mm -hmm. a lot of the talks that we were having with our older generation of Asian Americans or, you know, the first generation parents that have come over here. Mm -hmm. I think amongst my friend groups, there was a lot of question of why are you involved in this? Why are you going through a Black Lives Matter movement? Mm -hmm. And these were the words that I think I wanted to say, but I couldn't. Sometimes it's not the fact that we can't say these words, but the words evade us at the moment. Yeah. Which is why I appreciated reading that because I'm like, yes, 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 I agree, I agree, Mm -hmm. I agree. And then I think back on the times when I've had conversations with my family, when Mm -hmm. I've had conversations with my friends who I haven't had these kinds of talks with in the past. And then coming up short and not being able to fully express what it means to be part of the racial reckoning or to be part of the Black Lives Matter movement. Right. And one of the parts in that quote is talking about how people who are lighter skinned or I think what it says without saying it is certain Asian people are able to fit in better. Right. The colorism of it. But it doesn't mean that there isn't racial inequality within that fitting in. Definitely. In the big Asian diaspora, there's so many layers of discrimination. There's so many layers of marginalization. And we all and each have a different type of fight. Mm -hmm. So at this current point, We're trying to take down the Casa Dojo Mojo house of Michael. (laughs) We are hopefully going to find out and maybe even take down Izumi and hopefully by proxy Steven. Mm -hmm. There are some relationships that we just don't know what's going to happen. There are relationships like Ingrid and Eunice's that we're hoping to keep. But we're going to find this all out in our next read, which is... From pages 320 to 396 for those who are following along in the hardcover. And for everyone, we're reading chapters 18 all the way through the epilogue. From Fever Dream to A New You, finishing up Summer. Yeah, and if you have any thoughts or different quotes that you found to be enlightening, how can people reach out to us? You can email us at asianbookclubpod at gmail.com or you can leave us a comment or DM us while our DMs are still open at asianbookclubpod. Right. And we also have our website, which is asianbookclubpod.com, which has our bookshop where you'll see our current recommendations, future recommendations, books we've read, books we plan to read, 
But other than that, whichever application you decide to listen to us on, please remember to rate, subscribe, and like. Also make sure to be happy, be healthy, and read a book. Ingat. Bye. Bye.